This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Given the carnage in the stock markets and the pressure from our boards of directors to perform, how do we keep our stock prices up and stay in the good graces of our investors? To answer those questions, Max Jacobs. Max, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, this is uh, these are tough times on the stock market, and companies are bouncing around. The roller coaster ride is terrible for investors. It's terrible for companies. Uh, I imagine uh, some companies, um, uh, some CEOs are going to lose their jobs over this. Uh, justified or not justified? I mean, it really depends on the case, obviously. Um, I mean, sometimes it will be just like the board panics, feeling like they have to do something. And so that something will be to replace the management team. Um, and and so in, in that case, that might not be the best uh, choice. But other times, look, they're, you know, the CEOs might have been underperforming. They might be refusing to make the necessary changes um, to, to deal with a market like this. Like, for example... You know, back when the market was pretty, uh, you know, back when the punch bowl was still going around, um, you know, companies really didn't feel the, feel the need that they had to prioritize their spending. So they would basically be funding every project that came along that looked decent. And so, you know, you have companies out there that have been racking up hundreds of millions of dollars of losses, um, you know, every year figuring that they can... Um, they, they could just raise through it. Um, and I'm talking specifically generally about uh, healthcare companies with those examples, but I think it, it broadly works um, across the board as well. Because I mean, think about how many big name tech companies, huge valuations don't make a cent. Yeah. Um, and, and they like, or, well, so you know, let's, um, so I, I don't want to, I, I don't mean to put you in commenting on CEOs so much because you're in the, uh, public relations and the investor relations business. And really your job is to make the company, I imagine, look the best that it can be to investors and, and the public, right? I mean, that's your job? Yes, um, and, and as accurately as possible. Okay, I forgot about the accurately part. <laughs> uh, a lot of people do forget about it. Um, but we, like we I, sort of live in a world where accuracy uh, doesn't seem to be our highest value anymore. That's uh, sort of a problem that we have. but. Um, so what are, you know, given, given the fact that companies uh, were doing great for a long time, uh, you know, a, a rising tide kind of provides a lot of forgiveness. And all of a sudden now the, 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 the tide goes out and all the embarrassing things that weren't going that great now are all of a sudden obvious. How are you positioning these companies? How are you telling their stories? Well, I mean, it's not necessarily about how they, you tell their stories because, I mean, each one is going to be different. Um, but the, the kind of the core of the strategy needs to be to be out there, um, to, to be visible. Because I think a lot of in a lot of cases, companies immediately are kind of shell-shocked and go into bunker mentality and figure, you know, investors aren't going to listen. They don't care what I'm saying. So let's just not go out there. Well, you know, when you do that, you're you're pretty much guaranteeing failure. And um, as you know from the investment side, you know, when, when there's a company that doesn't have a lot going on, you know, we, we call it dead money. So, so they're, they're, they're guaranteeing that there'll be dead money in people's portfolios. And the last thing um, investors need right now is more dead money in their portfolios. Yeah. So you know, instead of guaranteeing that failure, 
they, they need to be out there as much as possible. So like on the PR side, you know, doing media interviews, doing, you know, opinion pieces, get, you know, just being out there. And, and then on the IR side, you know, go, go to the, be active on the investor conference front. Um, be, be meeting with investors. You try to meet, like have 300 investor meetings a year. Um, you know, have have uh, webinars where you just explain your story to, to people. Um, do these you know, companies, uh, can they do it themselves or do they need guidance from either from attorneys, from uh, investor relations professionals? I mean, is this the kind of thing that, uh, you know, a CEO should feel comfortable to just uh, open up a webinar and start answering questions or, or do they really need to, uh, you know, be guided? Well, I mean, look, uh, well, obviously it, it depends, right? Um, you know, because in in some case, I mean, if the company's you know uh, you know large and has a fully staffed set, then they they can probably do it themselves. But whatever they do, they need to think things through. If they feel like they don't know, you know, there's a lot of unknown unknowns, then yeah, they 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 should definitely seek help. Um, you know, because because um, a lot of the um, CEOs or, or management teams out there actually don't have a lot of Wall Street experience. They don't know. Um, how, how things work, how how they should talk about things, and I think they also have this um, idea that you know w- whatever they say will kind of w- will be will be believed by the street. While you know, as you know, on the investor side, I mean, you see, I mean, how many hundreds of companies every year are you looking at? Different ways to spin the same thing. So you know, investors tend to be very skeptical. And it's very easy to kind of to, to lose them by by doing the wrong thing. So everything needs to be thought out, planned out, you know, with with professionals. I mean, definitely with lawyers, because you know we're in a hyper litigious society. So I would always recommend making sure the lawyers are are happy. Um, and yeah, moving forward, uh, you know, w- with a decent plan. Um, and and that's like you know where, where from like you know mine comes in. I mean. That's what we do. We, we, we try so to what, plan things out months so is, in advance. What is, what is your role? You know, you're on the IR side. What, as, as an investor relations professional, what is the main thing that you do? I mean, I, I get the, the goal of the job is to provide communications accurately. But what are what are you actually tactically doing on behalf of the client every day or, or as often as you're doing it? Sure. I mean, well, look, it, it all starts off with... Um, the messaging, you know, the communication side. What is what what is what is the message we're trying to come across, and you know, kind of what is what is the added value of the company, um, and, and we want to make sure that you know when, when you so it's this and you know we get that core message and then we put that in the material. So like the investor presentation, you know, it's very key. Um, you know, when I uh, go through a company's investor presentation, I, I kind of. I don't want to say rip it to shreds because that sounds like it's a little harsh, but I mean, I kind of do. I, I look at, you know, what are the things that we're saying that aren't defensible? What are, what are things that will get investors skeptical? Because, you know, what, what, once you kind of lose an investor in a meeting, they, they might be like lost for a while. Like you, you might not be able to get them back. So I want to make sure that everything that um, in a presentation, you know, is, is defendable. Um, is our best foot forward, and, and makes uh, makes the investor want to to know more. 
What uh, does does the stuff that you uh, that you put out into the marketplace does it does it come out of the uh, like the ten Q and the ten K or or is it uh, or is that what ends up getting into the ten Q and ten K? Which which comes first, your work or the filings? I mean, uh, I mean, a lot of times it's concurrent because I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, it's. Um, I mean, sometimes like a piece of news comes out and then we, I mean, we'll have to talk about how to present it and you know, that gets into the, gets into the queue. Other times it's, you know, what's in the queue is kind of what the lawyers have, have decided is what we can say. And then that's what we, we end up saying. Um, so, so it's, it's really, it, it kind of depends. It's gotta be tough being in a, in a, uh, in such a highly regulated environment where every word has to be cleared by the attorneys and, and, you know, the CEO has to be uh, careful. I mean, some of these CEOs have become uh, much more, uh, you know, they're, they're out there kind of more cavalier. They're doing their own things. I mean, guys like Elon Musk, they say what they feel like saying, and then they've got teams of people that clean up after them. Um, I, I imagine that that's probably uh, your worst nightmare. And, and you really try not to have people like that. Uh, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say Elon Musk would be my worst nightmare. Um, I mean, it, it, it's more, um, well, depends on how you feel about Tesla, really. Um, uh, it, it's more someone who will say inaccurate things publicly. Like if, um, you know, if a CEO is out there saying that, you know, like two weeks before their earnings release saying, you know, our numbers are going to be very aggressive um, and, you know, kind of guides people up. And then they miss in two weeks. That's kind of a nightmare because it's like, you know, you just burned your credibility with huge swaths of the market. And, and it's hard to really get that back. And you're, you know, as an investor relations professional, you're going to have to be fighting through that for a while. Cause you know, if it's, if it's a big enough blow up, then, you know, articles are going to be uh, printed about it. And so like the first thing a new investor sees when they Google the company is this mess. And so that's hard. I mean, on the other hand, I mean, we, I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, stuff happens, sometimes it's out of your control. And, and so, you know, there's a crisis and, and, you know, you just need to make sure that, um, you know, you don't do something that makes it worse in the interim. And that's kind of where, you know, I mean, we, we definitely thrive on that too, just in terms yeah. of, we're not <laughs> adrenaline junkies, but like, you know, it is kind of exciting and, and just intellectually challenging to find that road through. You know, keep, uh, keep in mind, uh, I'm a big fan of Elon Musk. I think, I think what the guy does is fantastic. I think that all of his innovation and a lot of just his attitude, <clears throat> it, it's necessary in business, but he's a loose cannon. And from your perspective, uh, that's what I was talking about from from the perspective of a professional who's kind of trying to manage communications. Mm-hmm. He's not an easy person to manage. And that, that's what that's what I was talking about is being a nightmare. Not 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 that he's not a great uh, leader and all the other stuff. So just for what well, I mean, I, I would say CEOs, I mean, tend to be on the more imperious end. I mean, he's more on the wacky and imperious uh, side of things. So that might but it, like I have I have bigger worries than if my if the CEO tweets something about someone, um, you know, and, and, and causes offense. I mean, I'd be more like if I was like Tesla IR and he's like giving guidance on Twitter 
that's, that hasn't been cleared by the lawyers, yeah, that that would give me a lot of pain and heartburn because that's <laughs> like, no, you you can't you can't do that. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's for sure. So, what um, you know? Do you have any clients that uh, that really are are not good listeners? I mean, how do you manage those kind of uh, clients? I mean, when you have clients that just want to do their own thing, you know, what are what are the uh, what are the kinds of things that you do? Well, I mean, look, I mean, there, there's there's never a client that um, just says, uh, you know, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do my own thing because they wouldn't be paying us. Um, so look, it's like with anything, it's like being in a relationship with, with, you know, with a significant other. I mean, there's give and take, you know, you, you, you fight the battles that you think you can win for the other ones. Look, they're the client, you know, we, we can give them advice, but we can't force them to do something. You know, it's like you can lead a horse to water. You can't make them drink. So I guess kind of like being a parent sometimes too, you know, like you, you, you can tell the kid all the stuff that they should be doing, but whether they listen is really kind of up to them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, it's, um, you know, listen, I started in, in the public accounting world and, you know, uh, people don't listen to their accountants, people don't listen to their attorneys, people don't listen to you. I mean, it's yeah. it's not you, it's not me, it's it's just, it's the nature of people and, you know, there are some people that just, uh, that's how they operate. So let's talk about ESG for a few minutes here, because uh, this is a big topic in the investor world. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff coming out, uh, you know, Elon Musk again, uh, called the whole thing fake, maybe because he was mad at it because Tesla got removed from a list, but the wall street journal now has done some reporting, uh, and they're uncovering that it's really sort of a, a corporate scam, you know, that they're, it's just a reason for, uh, fund managers to charge extra because it's kind of the, uh, the flavor of the week. And, and so they're charging extra for it. You know, what are you thinking? Oh, you're going to get me in trouble <laughs> if, if, if I tell you what I actually, I mean, well, I'll, I'll just say what I think. What the heck? Um, you know, I, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of, uh, I think ESG stands for evil socialist garbage. And, <laughs> and, and I mean, because I mean, it's not like, it's, they're not really trying to like help, you know, it's not necessarily about helping um, the planet or anything. It's, it's, it's really about like, almost like indoctrination, forcing companies to like toe the line on a variety of different issues, um, you know, through kind of, through pressure, like, you know, BlackRock, I mean, they'll, they'll send letters and stuff. Um, it, it, it's just, uh, it, it's a little bit overpowering. And I think it is a bit of a scam. It doesn't make any sense. And it actually, I mean, we've seen it today. It's been completely detrimental to the actual running of the economy. Um, because it's created, I mean, there's, we're undersupplied with our energy. And, and so this is like, it's going to take years and years to fix if we're allowed to fix it at all. You know, it sort of falls into the same bucket as a lot of other issues in our society. You know, we, we grab onto, you know, one little straw, one little leaf from a tree, one little piece of paper, one little something, and we generalize it into the whole world. And, and I don't know, we seem to have lost critical thinking skills across our society and and people they, they they don't ask a lot of questions. They just say, "Yeah, this sounds like a great idea. It must be great. Let's go forward with it." But and then companies kind of get saddled with the burden of this sort of thing. And uh, you know, it seems to me, and I don't know, maybe you've heard something uh, that I haven't heard. Uh, right now, it's sort of just a voluntary. It's a trend. But at some point in time, the SEC is going to start mandating that some of this data starts getting turned in on the uh, on the quarterly reports. And when that happens, it becomes part of the fabric of our society forever. 
I think they were they're already they've already proposed a rule regarding climate change, I believe. Um yeah, yeah in terms of disclosures. And and look, it's you know, it's it's first of all, it just adds more expense to these companies. Um, all, every one of these regulations. So like, you know, being a, a public company is just getting more and more expensive. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's coming at the cost of, uh, you know, um, innovation. So instead of, you know, spending money on research, they're spending money on compliance, on yeah. lawyers, on auditors. Well, you know, here's the thing is that for a company like General Motors, who probably spends $100 million a year, it's, that's just a, a line item. It's just an expense. And if it's $120 million, doesn't really matter, you know, whatever, doesn't matter. But for these littler companies, the companies that are the innovative ones, the ones that are really trying to bring new ideas to the marketplace, uh, the extra cost of compliance is very significant. And a lot of these uh, compliance issues are not handled by the big accounting firms. So you can't just go to one vendor to handle the whole thing for you. Now you got to go to multiple vendors and you, it just, it ends up being a really big deal. Yeah. And it's like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for each one. And it's like, okay, it's one thing if you're, oh, I'm sure, I mean, they're probably spending millions of big companies, but you know, for a small company, I mean, that's, that's a lot. Like, you know, they might have 30 employees and you're spending the equivalent of two employees on one of these com- compliance consultants. Yeah. And, and, and a minimum, a couple people. And, yeah. you know, and so it's, uh, do you, I mean, do you think that what if, what if companies just bucked the trend and they said, we're not doing it? I mean, would they suffer? I mean, I, I don't think they would long-term. I mean, like initially they might get kicked out of some indices, you know, let's say an ESG, if, if they're in an, um, some ESG funds, like they, they might lose those. But look, in the end, at the end of the day, they're going to, you know, investors tend to care about who's going to make the money and they will they will get there. It might take take a little bit longer. But I mean, I remember, I mean, how, for how long was Philip Morris one of the most, the best performing stocks like in the Dow? You know, it's like people, people, Val, you know, investors are valuing their return. They're not necessarily valuing all this other stuff. Um, you know, BlackRock might be trying to, you know, bend that curve a certain way, but in the end, there's still a drop in the ocean in terms of like the, the entire investment world. Um, and, and so I think, and I think also, um, you know, the, if a lot, if, if if a lot of companies turn their back on it, I think then you know they might just kind of give up on on the the marketing that they're spending on on these ESG products. Well, they're not going to give up on it as long as they're making a premium on their fund management, uh, you know, fees. <clears throat> as long as that, <clears throat> as long as that's happening, uh, you can expect this to continue. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, it's like all they, so all these ESG funds, they're basically like Kathy Wood's ARC. Okay. You, you look at the top holdings, it's all tech companies, you know, ones that don't have giant manufacturing footprints. It's like funny how that works. So they, they're basically had, um, a tech, tech funds or, or tech heavy funds for the last like 10 years of a bull market. So yeah, their returns are going to be good. I don't think their returns are probably very good right now. And, and so like, you know, when people will start seeing the comparisons, they're going to be like, well, you know, maybe I don't want to be in the ESG fund. Maybe I want to be in a, just kind of a regular core fund. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess kind of the, um, the rig on these deals is that they're just regular funds that get spun as, uh, as ESG, because just what you said, because they're tech, they're not spitting off a lot of manufacturing carbons and other things anyway. So 
you know, they'll probably use electricity, of course, but, you know, they're anyway. Yeah, people forget about the electricity part, actually. You know, so like with, with um, you know, they think EVs don't have any emissions, but like think about all the electricity they use. What's, yeah, yeah. Where do we get the electricity? Um, and let's not forget, of course, like where you know how do you, how do you get the lithium for the batteries? <laughs> yeah, you know people. Yeah. Listen, people are quick. To, it, it's the same thing we talked about before. It, it, it's people are quick to point to one thing, you know, and they're they look at the direct, not the indirect. And the indirect can have a bigger impact than the direct in a lot of cases, and that's uh, that that's just the deal. So, what about um, let's talk about. Uh, spinning. Your business is is in the business of spinning stories in a way that makes things uh, look good. Uh, it, it's an art form, you know. Uh, not all of us like it, but it's an art form, and you guys are you tend to be really really good at it. Um, what's what's your attitude about that sort of thing? About telling the story in a way that makes uh, you know your company look the best that it can. I mean, do you do that a lot, or is that just something that is there like a certain line in the sand that you won't cross on that? Oh, there's definitely a line in the sand. Um, I mean, besides the fact that, you know, my, my sister and uh, uh, her husband were both in the SEC. Um, and then also just, you know, I was an investor for um, 10 years, um, you know, both long only, long short. And, um, you know, it's like, I don't want to lose people's credibility. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to lose credibility with people because once you lose it, I mean, you can lose it for years. Like, because I mean, I remember when if I talked to a company and they said something that was kind of like inaccurate or I thought was um, BS, I, I like I would just think about that every time their name would pop up again. You know, over the next few years, and it's really hard to change investors' minds on companies once they think they're like either fraud or a bunch of jokers or anything like that. So, I mean, look, do you know, I wouldn't want to call it spin. I mean, look, it's marketing, just like you market yourself when you're like in a job interview, you know, you're trying to present yourself well. I mean, you're not going to tell them obviously all your, the dirt and like, you know, the bad breakups, you know, you were involved in or whatever, you know, you, 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 know, you, you give them kind of, you try to give them an accurate picture, but also just presented the best way. But, you know, in terms of a company, um, you know, I would say, I mean, you, you definitely want to give kind of the good and the bad when, when it's appropriate because you, you want to build credibility. I mean, it's like you want, so like in the biotech world, you know, a lot of times the companies fail, their lead drugs fail, the, you know, their stock goes down like 90% in a day. So your goal needs to be to make sure that the investors who are with you then will be willing to reinvest with you on the next product, you know, or at your next company, um, you 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 want them to believe that you were completely honest and forthcoming. You did the best you could, and you know what? We just you know, and it just didn't work. You don't want them to think, well, you kind of misled me. I didn't realize you had this issue, because then you know, then it's a problem, and they will remember that like forever. And like, you don't change, change jobs and it still happens. How does a CEO or a management team who led a company that failed? And, and listen, if you haven't failed, then you haven't tried hard enough. Yeah. I mean, failure is part of success. And, and, you know, not every investor understands that because they've not all been down the path. But if, if you're part of a company that fails, how do you retain the support of the people around you to get that next job? 
And like you're talking about getting the next investment, but you know, the CEO is concerned about getting the next job and, and the director of IT and the director of sales and all the other people who are part of that management team are all concerned about moving on to the next place. How do they do that? I mean, I just heard you say one thing, which is be honest all, all the way along the way. And that, that goes a long way, but what are the things are people doing? I mean, look, you, you do have to kind of explain what, what was a scenario. Um, you know, why, why did it fail? What did you learn from it? Because look, the, the way I look at it, and I think a lot of people look at it too, it's okay to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Just you got to try to not make the same mistake twice. So, you know, you, you got to be thought, show that you're thoughtful about it. You know, you do understand. You don't just think, oh, it was just bad luck. You know, you, you can't be flippant. Um, you know, sincerity goes a long way. Um, so I think if you can do it, um, in a sincere way, then people will be willing to give you another shot. Yeah, you know, listen, that's that, that's kind of the goal and the purpose of podcasts like this. That's sort of the the charge of a professional keynote speaker is what can the audience learn from what we've learned? And you know, human beings learn from each other. Human beings, uh, we we you know we cut a lot of time off the learning curve. Uh, because trial and error and doing it yourself is not always the best way to learn, right? I mean, sometimes you could learn from other people's errors. That's kind of a better way to learn. And so uh, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And, and so in a certain way, uh, their attitude about that's really important. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, always see people living up to that standard, but that's, I think you're right that that's a good standard to live up to. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it, it's just at the end of the day, all you have is your reputation. So you just have to, you know, try to keep it, as clean as possible, and also, um, I mean, show that you're you're competent. I mean, it, it, it's okay to fail because you know what you can't control everything in the universe. You know, with like, for example, you know, the science and biotech. You know, we understand maybe like ten percent of it. So there's a lot we don't know. So you just have to make sure you just you you, you um, do the best you can. And then you know, try not to fail. But if it happens, like do it in the right way in terms of your reaction to it. Um, you know, a lot of companies tend to, you know, the, uh, you know, there there are drugs out there that have failed ten different indications, so t in ten different disease areas, and they keep trying again. They get investors' money. They kind of are are, are uh, figure, you know, betting on the greater fool theory. Um, that's probably not the right way to go. Um, not the right way to get your reputation. I mean, you might still have a, a company, but you might have, you know, you, you, you'll never really succeed in, in the eyes of others. Yeah. You know, um, what about, um, when companies are, uh, In the middle of a crisis, do you do you help companies in crisis, or is that a, a different expertise than yours? Oh no, Def we definitely um, help companies in crisis. I've been um, inside a company that was in kind of you know crisis mode, um, and you know it, it's like, but that that's you know you have to make some really strategic decisions very quickly. So it's best to have you know, as much expertise around you as possible in order to navigate it properly. Because if, you know, if, if you make a misstep, then, you know, the, I mean, there can just be a lot of issues and it, it takes, it takes much longer to fix a, a mistake than to make it. <laughs> I'll say it does. Yeah. 
You know, uh, we had a guest on the show who um, uh, just a couple weeks ago that was responsible for uh, overseeing the uh, the COVID outbreak on the Princess Cruise Line, that first ship in, in the waters off Japan. This guy was like the president of Princess, Princess Cruises, and, and he uh, oversaw the whole thing. And you know what he said was that the majority of what they leaned on the most in, in resolving their crisis was their culture, their company culture. Um, how much do you see companies leaning on culture or, or do you see them doing other things? I mean, I, I'm just interested in his perspective, your perspective on, on how that works. I mean, I mean, some, some, some companies care about their culture and some companies don't. I mean, that is just, it's just like everything else. Um, always prefer companies that, that want to have a good culture where people are cooperative. It's not, I mean, there's no way to avoid politics. I mean, you get like three people in a company, you're going to have politics, right? Um, but, you know, trying to minimize it, make it, you know, more of a meritocracy and not so much, you know, a Game of Thrones um, or at least minimize the Game of Thrones aspect. Uh, you know, so, I mean, cul culture, I think, is very important for the long-term success of companies personally. That's just my, my view. But in terms of whether companies actually rely on it or not, it really depends. I mean, some companies, like I think Amazon, I think is known for having a really horrible culture, but look where it is today. So. Yeah. I, I wonder, I wonder how bad the culture is, or if that's just sort of a uh, kind of a perspective that people put out there, you know, to game the system and try to gain more, whatever they they're, they're trying to get. I, you know, we, we don't really know uh, what's true because none of us are inside there. And uh, I, I'd be interested to hear an executive who's inside, give us some perspective, but um, hey, listen, man, uh, you know, you, uh, you, you've really, you know, the promise of our show is really to deliver the inside track, the best, smartest and fastest way to get something done. And uh, you're talking about uh, PR, IR, corporate communications and, and really kind of the way this all works. And uh, you've definitely lived up to the promise. You, you've told us what it is that we need to do. And, and we call people who live up to the promise, we call them advantage players. And that makes you an advantage player. So thank you for, uh, for sharing with us, for being on the show and, uh, you know, just telling us what it is, you know, so that, uh, you know, so that the listeners of our show can uh, benefit from your expertise. Th thanks for all the kind words, Joel. Th this has really been a pleasure. Thanks for having well, yeah, me on. Listen, man, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, great. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Audavita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audavita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.